Welcome to Riding the Big Wheel. I'm Michelle Seeger, and with us today is Denise Gilroy, America's consulting go-to-market business development leader for EY. Today, we're going to have a great conversation about leadership, specifically leadership in the midst of change and what a year it has been. I had not anticipated kicking off this podcast in the midst of a pandemic. However, I do believe this will be a great source of inspiration, motivation, and encouragement for anyone listening. So let's get started. She's leading with passion, life to vision, sharing a story, Um, before we get started, Denise, I would love for you to just talk to people a little bit about your role at EY, you know, your span of control, what it is that you do. Happy to. My role from a markets perspective is really focused on understanding the voice of our clients, uh, what their needs are now, next, and beyond. So I work with our teams to advise them on the solutions required to help our clients achieve their ambitions and their agendas and then have accountability to design and lead the execution of our go-to-market and business development approach to achieve our top-line sales objectives. This is includes, or this includes leadership of a team of solution and alliance business development professionals, alliance go-to-market strategy, acquisition markets integration, strategic deals, sales planning, and performance analytics. You know, interestingly, Michelle, when I, when I think about your question, business development at EY really is a crucial function. Mm -hmm. It's accountable for teaming to originate, pursue, close opportunities that align with client needs, which sounds logical. But we have a varied uh, degree of specialists among the team, such as sectors, solutions, accounts, large pursuits. And we've been interestingly transforming our BD organization to align with the rapidly changing marketplace we find ourselves in, and I believe we're well on our way to having an industry leading BD organization. Wow, that's really interesting. So uh, for me, being in change management and really wanting to understand um, how companies are pivoting to the, the pandemic and the change, is there anything there that you can share with us today? You know, one thing I know for sure about the current environment is it's uncertain and rapidly evolving. And there simply is no playbook. Nobody's seen anything like this before. And it's also variable. Some sectors like government and healthcare and essential services are performing really well. Mm -hmm. And other sectors are experiencing liquidity challenges. Trusted patterns of you know, cause and effect from a performance outcome are really not holding up during this time. And so market fundamentals are essentially unreliable. Things we would normally look to, market indicators, they're up right now when you would expect them to be down. Um, so it's really just a time of uncertainty with no playbook. Yeah, it's really pretty crazy, the market right now. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic. The market is going up and down. It's really strange what's happening in certain industries that are going up, certain that are going down. Um, I would love to get your take on, you know, uh, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think is ahead for us as we look 6, 12, mm. 18 months ahead? I wish I had the crystal ball also. <laughs> um, I believe things uh, are becoming financially harder over the balance of the calendar year uh, for the economy and for some businesses 
it's going to be harder before it gets better. I don't believe we're going to begin to experience reliable signs of recovery until calendar 2021. And, and even then, I expect to see a seesaw recovery with some ups and downs along the way. It seems many businesses are through the rapid response period and have achieved stability or at least have a plan to get to stability. You know, the next six to 12 months after that, hopefully faster than that, I hope we see businesses enter the transition phase of recovery where they'll establish you know, longer term transformational thinking about how their businesses need and will operate in the new normal, how they'll serve customers differently in the future. Sometime during that period, 6, 12, 18 months and beyond, we'll enter a transformational period where companies will be undertaking really bold programs to jump the S-curve, to start performing differently in the new normal. I foresee literally billions of dollars being spent between 2021 and 2023 on transformational aspirations of businesses powered by technology. Technology will be center stage. I'd say brace ourselves because I think things are going to be harder in the near term and then take off transformationally in the years to come. I think we will, Michelle, look back on this time as a catalyst event mm -hmm. for growth. Yeah, I would really agree with you. You know, I read a, um, a study and they were talking in it about technology, how through the pandemic, it's actually put us about three to five years ahead of where we would have been just in, well, how you and I are communicating today, right? right. So it's just so many different things have changed virtually overnight. So Denise, let me just ask you a, a question about... Um, how your team is adjusted and, you know, how you're, importantly, how your clients are adjusting and how you are communicating. Are you finding that um, it's the same? Have things changed a little bit? Just how are things kind of working on that angle from a BD perspective and relationship building? Well, we've had to make a, a pretty fast pivot. Um, our firm has pivoted really quite swiftly from an on-prem model to a a virtual model, if you will say. I think faster than some of our clients in some cases, just due to the nature of the consulting business. It already has some virtual attributes when you think about how we deliver uh, services offshore in many cases. Um, so we made that pivot pretty quickly. We've developed and issued playbooks to our people, um, our business development professionals, of leading practices on how to engage with clients. And we really focus them at around kind of three topics. One is connecting, you know, with clients and colleagues, um, how to lead with being proactive in asking and listening and communicating empathy to understand the needs of our clients and what are the techniques to do that well. We also focused on, you know, developing, meaning techniques that you can use to identify and qualify what's really important to your clients now, next and beyond and especially during the rapid response period we were in, how to serve our clients in the best possible way. So we developed some techniques around that and some practices. And lastly was activate. You know, how do you, what are those techniques that you can use in a virtual environment to co-iterate on solutioning, uh, proposal processes like oral presentations and closing practices? So simple things like shared technology enabled workspaces such as Teams you know, to collaborate with our clients. So we kind of had to retool our thinking around how to connect uh, and bring value to our clients in a purely virtual environment, uh, which is a little different, you know, than being on-prem with them. 
so that's what we did. That's great. Yeah. Um, so now let's shift over and talk a little bit about leadership because leadership at this time, you're having to make decisions around all the things that you just discussed. And um, I think it would be great to just start with, just give your perspective, this is a little of your philosophy, right? Around what you believe makes a great leader. What is a great leader? How do you define that? Um, and what separates one from just someone that's a good leader? <laughs> hmm. You know, leadership is a, it's a passion topic for me um, because I know that good and bad leadership impacts the professional and personal lives really of all of us and it drives outcomes. So it matters. I keep, I've continued self-study on the topic because it is a point of passion for me. And I've been really fortunate to attend some leadership programs, you know, where theory is shared on leadership and what it means. And I've tried to role model, you know, the few leaders that, that I've come across that I respect. And in the end, Michelle, what I've really learned is one thing, which is each of us have to decide what kind of leader you want to be. And it's a personal question. It's a personal question. And for me, the answer was found in my experience. It was found in my personal purpose. What is my big why for what I do and in my values? You know, what's been really interesting is during this time of crisis, it's where I really felt my leadership style tested. And I made a ton of mistakes uh, over the recent months in this regard. But I really clarified for myself what kind of leader I want to be. And for me, Michelle, it came down to three things. Um, one, first and foremost, listen first. Listen always and listen broadly. And be empathetic to what you're hearing from those diverse experiences. That would be point number one. Point number two is it's important for me to be very clear on the vision and agile in the execution. The vision should be consistent. How we get it done needs to be responsive to the environment and the changing circumstances. And thirdly, it's important to be inspirational, to inspire people to aim for higher, to aim for what's possible versus what's expected. Those are the three things that I've come to, to define for myself as the kind of leader that I want to be. Generally speaking, I would say I'm an optimist. Those who know me would say I'm an optimist and it colors my attitude. While I know we're in difficult times and things are very difficult for a lot of people in many ways I can really only imagine. I also believe we're gonna get through it. And I believe that we're gonna be better on the other side if we work together. So that's how I think about leadership. I think it's a personal journey to really define it for yourself. Um, I think that's a wonderful answer that you gave and, and very thought-provoking. As we think about the current environment, you know, when times are really rough, what would you say is the most important thing that people are looking for out of their leaders? Hmm. Well, as you said, I mean, it's just unbelievably turbulent times, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah, where, crazy. I mean, just crazy, where the human spirit and really the durability is being tested. Um, we're really experiencing a triple threat. I was having this conversation the other day, you know, this combination of health, social, and financial crisis all at the same time, just ne I've never seen it before in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I'm spending my time listening every day and I'm learning every day. And interestingly, and, and maybe simply, 
what people want is to trust their leader, period. And in this regard, to trust their leader, for me, what I'm learning is it comes down to a couple of things. First, people want to be heard. They want to know that leaders heard and understand their experience. I think secondly, they want to know that their voice is shaping the path forward. It's making a difference and it's showing up in agile execution. And thirdly, I think trust building is about leaders showing up authentically human, you know, demonstrating their vulnerability and being empathetic to others and focused on first on those in their care. Uh, because we can do better, much better. I think those are the three things that people are looking for that contribute to what really matters is, can they trust their leader? That's the question. And what's really amazing is when all those three things are executed consistently, it does create trust amongst the team. And once you have trust, man, it's amazing the unbelievable things that will happen. People will amaze you you know, with their fortitude, their creativity, and their teaming in the face of adversity, amazing things happen. So I think they're looking for trust, Michelle. Yeah, I think that uh, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting because for me, when I think about this, um, I think women a lot of times as well, they just think they have to be perfect all the time. And I don't think I don't believe on my team, anyone um, expects me to be a perfect leader, nor you, but one that is authentic. And you said it, you know, that shows their humanity as well. Uh, I just think it makes, uh, it makes it easier to follow as well, you know, to, to follow that leader when you know that they're being authentic and you don't have to really fake it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. So, when we think about um, this pandemic and the unprecedented, it's been unprecedented for me as well. I've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I hope, Denise, we never do again. And I, what, I'm, what I'm hopeful of, I'm also an optimist, is that we'll see something amazing surge out of it and we'll have an incredible resurgence that we'll be able to experience as well. Mm -hmm. But tell me in times like this, you know, leaders have to make very difficult choices and how do you make those choices? And how has your decision-making changed or not changed as a result of the current environment? And it may be your considerations or how you have to you make your decisions today. It's a great question. I've struggled with this one um, and thought about it, as you'd imagine, quite a bit. And I think you said it well, the one binding experience we're all sharing right now is trying to make decisions uh, in adverse situations of, in things we've never seen before. And it's a situation, as we said before, that has no playbook. So there's no guardrails and you've never seen it before and important decisions need to be made. And to be honest, I've really struggled with it. And it's shaken my confidence more than once uh, in making important decisions, just not knowing what to do. And so the tact I've taken is first, to listen, again, listen to the team. The answers are usually found in the people in the field who are doing the roles, who are with our clients, who are running the processes, who understand the challenges. Listen to them, seek their opinions. That's helped me a lot. The second one is just looking for patterns in the data. 
you know, from this, you can sometimes identify insights that can inform decisions. And while data in this particular case is not far reaching, you know, it's three, four, maybe five months old in the US, um, we can look at global patterns and we are, and we're looking at the patterns here and, and trying to use that to inform some decisions. And I think thirdly, you know, I'm willing to be agile when we get it wrong. We've made some decisions that, that were the wrong decision is how it turned out. And if the decision fails, it's okay. You just gotta try something else and be agile and quick about it. So it's okay to get it wrong. Um, you just gotta move fast to correct it. Move fast to correct it and, uh, and communicate as well, right? So it's just, you know, what I'm finding is that the companies that are successful and even within our own firm is even if we don't have all the answers, People just want to know kind of whatever you can tell them and where we're at, and they'll be in it with you. And when you admit that you may have gotten something wrong, they tend to be forgiving, especially at times like this, when you just communicate and keep the, the channel a little open. So that's well, kind of, okay. So let me ask you this. Your team, you guys have been working remotely for a long time, like mm -hmm. all of us. How are you adjusting and how's your team adjusting? How's it, how's it kind of going there? And, um, and but your clients as well. You know, it's, it's been hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's maybe the understatement of the, of the year. Um, I think it's easy to feel isolated uh, and disconnected from your colleagues, from your clients. And, and even though we can do what we're doing today is virtually connect, it's not quite the same. You don't get to observe, um, you don't have a sense of in-person connectedness. You don't get to see the body cues um, or the nonverbal cues of how somebody is responding you know, to your message. Um, the virtual environment just simply creates a sense of distance. Um, and a little bit of isolation. And you need to be more intentional, you know, if you wanna have a private conversation, because a lot of these conversations that's given the virtual nature of the medium become team meetings. Mm -hmm. And so those things have been hard. Um, and the mindsets that we find of our buyers have also transformed. Their agendas are rapidly changing. Um, the certainty of what to do next is low, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. How to get things done is changed. There's new methods, new ways. And there's an increase in conservatism in decisioning. And I think we're feeling that in our firm and our clients are feeling that as well. And so when you think about how best to build trust, how best to operate and connect in this environment, um, again, it's back to listening versus telling. I think really understanding that the decisioning by the, by the buyer, their, their buyer values and their social styles uh, will definitely weigh in to their decision-making, uh, particularly under times of stress. Uh, people's social styles and ways of making decisions become acute. Um, and so being aware of that, I think, helps us communicate and collaborate uh, more effectively, leading with a bit of EQ uh, and maintaining some empathy, empathy for what people are going through. Uh, and lastly, I think showing up being totally oriented towards the other person's agenda and their needs. And so we've been trying to do that for each other here at the firm, and we've been trying to do it uh, with our clients and for our clients. But it's been a terribly challenging time, if, if we're being honest about it. It's been hard. 
Yeah, I see. Um, I see us. Uh, well, generally, people are social, and people in sales tend to be social. So I'd love to ask you your opinion on this question. We are building, of course, the future of sales. And one of the big questions that's coming up uh, time and time again is, you know, your CFO, they're looking at the bottom line. They're looking at salespeople that aren't traveling anymore. And they're looking at that t and expense and saying, wow, this is something else, right? And, you know, we've got a lot of questions coming to us. Um, and we're working with companies on two facets. One will our workforce, not just sales team, should they be, you know, continue to work from home or work remotely? It sure saves us in rent, right? And, and that big space we're renting downtown or we own downtown. And two, from a sales perspective, do we really need to be on site or do we really need to go face to face? Um, I have my own opinion on those that I'll share with you, but I would love to get yours, your opinion on, on those two dynamics. You know, we've, um, we've surprised ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've really surprised ourselves in what's possible in a virtual environment. While we always had aspects of our client engagement that was virtual in nature, um, and even engaging with one another, I mean, we're a firm of 280,000 people. We're always connecting globally, which means we're doing that remotely. And so part of this was kind of business as usual, but when you're forced to do it, 100% shift to that kind of environment I think it was terribly challenging on one hand. On the other hand, we've surprised ourselves at how swiftly we made that pivot and how well it's working overall. Um, our clients are happy, work is getting done, performance is very strong, and we're starting to ask ourselves what the new normal is going to look like going forward. We don't see a return um, to the way things used to be um, in terms of everybody being on-prem and always being at your client's site. Um, and forcing that be out a sense of necessity or nostalgia or tradition in, in terms of how we did things, we see a new normal. Uh, we're sort of jumping the S curve in that way in terms of how we're going to uh, perform our work with our clients and one another in the future. And I think that we are completely open to that being far different than it was in the past. And we're proving to ourselves it's possible. And we're starting to hear conversations with our clients that they're thinking the same, that there will be no return to pre-COVID in terms of the way things were done. It's going to be different. In fact, we're offering services specifically about return to work. And what does that really mean, you know, in the future? And so I think that on one hand, we were staggered by it in the, in the short term immediately. We pivoted fast, and I don't think there's ever going to be a return, Michelle, to the way things used to be. And I think that's okay, and actually might be better. Yeah, so um, I would share uh, the sentiment there. I think that um, it's, it's, for me, thinking about a consultant's lifestyle and being on site that five days a week, I worked for one of the big four, and um, it was, you know, and it's tough, right? It's a little bit of a, it can be a bit of a grind, but you feel that commitment that you need to be there as part of their team. And I, I would agree that we also have found the same thing, that our clients have pivoted, our people have shifted. Um, I believe that there'll be a bit of a hybrid model. So it'll be on and off. So you still can make that personal connection. And I think that will also transfer over to sales. Um, from my perspective, from our perspective at Sales Globe, we see it shaping out a little bit where 
sales will be, those on-site meetings will be a little bit different than they were before. So it won't be um, flying in for golf dinner and a meeting, but maybe a strategic planning meeting that might be one full day because you might only see them once a quarter or you know, whatever the cadence is, just a little bit differently than, than it looks today. You know, one of the, in listening to you share that sentiment, reflecting on one of the conversations I had recently with a colleague was, from a sales perspective, it might actually be better for our clients, better as defined by experiencing the full force of the firm globally. And so where historically we might bring U.S. colleagues to a meeting to meet with a U.S.-based client. Now that we've proven we can be effective virtually, why wouldn't we bring the best we have globally to that meeting and to that client encounter? Where maybe some of us are on-prem sitting with the client and some of us are not. But I think we're going to be more open in the future from a sales perspective to bring the full weight of the firm, whether that's professionals in Germany or Shanghai or India or wherever. And we think our clients are going to benefit from that, and we're going to have more confidence to do that, uh, and I think be more thoughtful in even thinking about doing that. So that should be a big win for our clients um, that we didn't have before, not in a consistent way. You know, same thing with territories and boundaries are really going away. They're not as important anymore. It is funny. Um, well, the one thing that we found just right away Denise, we have, just like you, we make a lot of phone calls, right? I've been setting up Zoom calls personally for, oh, probably over a year. That happens to be the platform we use. But nobody ever really used it on the other side, right? It was always me, and then looking at myself, and then I'd just turn it off. But it's so funny. It's like a, a light switch went on, and all of a sudden, everybody got on a call like this, right? And everyone was prepared for video, and uh, so I think that that's here to stay. It, it suddenly became like an expectation. Um, and another thing I'll say, so I, I do believe that you're right. You can bring more people to the party mm-hmm. and there's less of a consideration of physical boundaries. So that's going right. to just amazing what that can bring to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, the humanity that this has brought, I do hope that that stays. So you know, six months ago, a dog would bark or something and people would be panicked about it. But it's really just a fact of life. And, you know, I, I hope the humanity stays because I think it, it creates for a better work environment all around. You know, on this point, um, it's a great point that you're making because never before uh, on a frequent basis are we invited to the homes of our clients or each other's homes. And you get yeah. to experience, you know, their environment within which they live every day. Um, And that's a special thing. I've always thought it an honor to be invited to somebody's home. And here we are in this, in this environment, being invited into everybody's homes every day, which is to be respected. And it's, it's amazing because you see their artwork in their home, you see their family and their pets. Sometimes you see and hear their children and I think to your point, it does just reinforce that we're all human with lives outside of the existing conversation. Um, and it's yeah. special. And I think it builds bonds with people in a new way, maybe in a faster way in some regards. You know, two client stories I'll share with you. I was on with a, one of my consultants and one of our clients. And, you know, we're, we're talking, it's three of us are talking. And my consultant said to the 
client, a female, I am so sorry, but do you mind telling me the color on the wall behind you? I absolutely love that color. And so she went over and this is a new client relationship for my consultant. And so she told her what it was and how she went through and selected it. And she really loved it. It was her office color. And that one, that one minute dialogue did a lot to build on a relationship that probably took me a lot longer through meetings that we had and not having that personal experience. Uh, and you brought up another um, example of you see people's artwork. I was sitting in my office and I had a client say to me, what is that vase behind you? Can I see that? And I told him the story about when we went to Venice and it was a gift my husband had picked out that we probably paid way too much for at the Murano factory, right? But I had a story and we laughed about it. Um, but it, it did bring some humanity into it um, and does that relationship building and that trust building because how can you be, I guess, how, I didn't think about this before, how can you be inauthentic in that environment? You don't have to try, you just are. I love that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, when I think about that too. Um, okay, I want to talk about something about you. Uh -oh. Because when I met you, I was like in awe of you. Before I even met you, by the way, so there was a some guy at EY who we know very well who do, and I believe he's your boss, and he had bragged a little bit about you. And I found out um, to say you're accomplished on the ice is an understatement. So I'll have you talk about that a little bit. Um, I would love to hear about your history as a figure skater, I'd love for everyone to hear about that because, um, and how that, you know, that has helped shape you because I do believe those experiences help shape us into who we are today. So I'd love to know mm -hmm. just a little bit about it and what you have taken, how that has helped shape mm -hmm. you and, and where you got to where you are today. And well, don't gotta... be shy, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I trained in figure skating in Canada, my home country, uh, during my childhood and through teenage years. I trained in um, solo competition as well as dance and precision at the city, national, and international levels. So I was extremely lucky. And what I realized is, what I realized later in life is I was learning more than just how to skate. I was also learning how to, how to lead how to team, how to compete. And I would go so far as to say that the majority of things I've learned about business and leadership came from my time on the ice. You know, I learned discipline delivers the results. You've got to put the work in, in, in whatever you're doing, if you want to be great at it. Secondly, expect adversity. It's going to happen. In figure skating, you're falling down in front of thousands of people. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to get up. That's what you're going to do. So what matters is how you overcome adversity. Um, and there's always a solution. You just got to find it and expect adversity. I learned that the hard way in many cases. I also learned that nobody achieves anything of value on their own. There's always a team required. In skating, for example, I had um, technical coaches. I had dance coaches, choreography physical trainers, sports psychologists. I mean, there was a, just a mass of people that were behind me. And I may be the one that you saw on the ice, but I didn't get there on my own, that is for sure. 
Um, so I learned those things and I've taken those uh, with me, you know, in my professional career now. And interestingly, you may have read some of these studies, but there's countless studies that demonstrate the significance that sports plays um, in terms of building female executive leadership potential. And I'd be remiss if I didn't call that out. One study I remember, maybe it was Inc. It said that one trait that 94%, 94% female CEO, CEO share is that they all play collegiate level sport. Like amazing, right? Wow. There's, I know there's this irrefutable, irrefutable correlation between athleticism and business. And as you go about this series, Michelle, and as you go about meeting female CEOs and leaders, executives in business, if you ask them if they ever played collegiate level sport or high level competitive sport, apparently you'll find that 94% of them will say yes. That amazing? That's incredible. Yeah, that is amazing. I was in track myself. I, I really loved it. In fact, I, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Now, how do you want people to remember you as a leader? Well, first, I hope I, hope I do enough good in the world that people do remember um, the impact that I can have. I think I, I want to be a listener. I, I want to be remembered as somebody who consulted and listened to broad perspectives um, and was empathetic to those diverse perspectives, diverse in, in every way that you can describe diversity. Um, I'm really passionate about diversity and inclusiveness. And it's not enough to say that that's important and statistically, you know, have the right mix of people on a team or at the table. What matters is the I, which is the inclusivity, the part of listening, and then doing something with what you hear. Um, that's super important to me as a bottom line. Um, I would also hope that people would think she was always, you know, clear. Denise was clear on vision, uh, but was flexible in execution. Um, and lastly, I, you know, I hope I inspire a few along the way, um, you know, to try things they never tried before and to just aim a little higher you know, for what's possible. Because in my experience, every time I nudge somebody, you know, to try something different and aim a little higher, they always amaze themselves and they generally pull it off. So I, I hope those are the kinds of things that are remembered if, you know, if I get it right on the journey. That's wonderful. So two things that you had said um, a little earlier. Uh, the one is I had a wise woman say something to me that was very much like what you said, which was, it's not that you're going to fall down. It's what you do after you get back up. That's what really matters because we all fall. But what matters and what I heard you say is that it really matters what we do after that. And listening, I, I would agree with you that listening is absolutely key. Um, and, you know, that continuous learning mindset and encouraging people, you know, we like to call it safe risk taking. I'll push people to do things. Um, even client facing in safe environments, right? Where they can safely fail, but I will put them there just so that they can mm -hmm. stretch themselves as well. And I've always got their back. So, yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you, I always ask this question, which is your preference, pants or dress? Oh, dress for sure. I know I'm uh, a dress girl. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the power of femininity. I mean, use it. 
That's how I feel about it. And do you have a favorite book or anything you would like to share with anyone about, you know, something you think they could pick up and be inspired by? <laughs> well, the first one that comes to mind, which is sort of comical, is um, Charlotte's Web. Oh, that is. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the first book. It's a great question. It's the first book that I can recall reading, um, reading it, you know, cover to cover, my first grown up book, and it completely captured my imagination. And this idea that um, you're kind of in it together, uh, that this, you know, farm pig would be saved, if you will, by a spider, you know, mm -hmm. and the creativity and how they work together. I mean, I mean, ultimately, what that book taught me at a really young age is and even in the face of death and life's inevitable outcomes, um, ultimately, goodness wins out. And maybe that's where I got my optimism from was that book. We're just simply better together and ultimately, goodness wins. And that's the key message in Charlotte's Web. And it's the first book I remember reading and feeling all grown up and just simply inspired by it. I think that's wonderful. Now I'm inspired to go read Charlotte's Web. Um, Denise, thank you so much for being here with us today. Again, everyone, Denise Gilroy with EY. You can find her profile on LinkedIn. If you like what you heard, please link in with her. Connect and say, hey, Denise, uh, this is all about women connecting with women. And thank you, Denise, for sharing some of yourself with all of us today. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. When you're riding the